The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, I have a very good friend and my very special guest, Matt Weinstein. Matt is probably one of the funniest guys I know with the biggest heart and just someone I just love being around because he always makes me feel good. And, you know, there's real life, and Matt is not just a jokester. He's just big-hearted and generous and genuine, and he's got quite the story to tell in, in the work he does, which is not kind of a normal thing. You would not see Matt Weinstein walking down the hall in a suit and tie to go to work. So we're going to learn more about that today. Matt Weinstein, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Cheryl. It is so good to have you here today. Where are you? I am actually uh, uh, home in um, West Marin. You know, actually, I, I can look across the road and see Skywalker Ranch. Um, I, I, I used to say George Lucas's ranch, but of course, he sold it to Disney. So now it's now it's Walt's ranch. So could it be like Disney Ranch? Yeah. Ooh. Ah. I hope they don't change the name. I mean, you know, they've been, they've been like, you know. Skywalker has such a mythic kind of uh, thing around it. Like, when people are like, you live across the street from Skywalker Ranch. I'm like, yeah, I mean, the only time I go over there is UPS delivers my packages to them instead of to me. But uh, it's still some kind of bragging rights. (laughs) So, Matt, your life is fascinating to me. You are known as the master of playfulness, which I would absolutely agree with. You are America's Pied Piper of play. You are the founder and okay, get this emperor. Yes, yes I'm, I'm never outright right. founder. Yes. Founder and emperor of Playfair Incorporated, and you know I am very curious about the work you do because you have you have designed your work to be taken into organizations and groups to really touch the funny bone, right? Really touch people's desire to play adults. I'm not talking about little kids here. We're talking about adults. And I just find this fascinating. So what is it about play that makes that so important? Yeah, well, I think it's pretty clear that play is some kind of universal language that all of us grow up speaking pretty fluently, and yet the older we get, society kind of you know, stops us from being playmates and puts us in the stands and only a couple of professionals get to play by the time we're in our 20s. And yet it's something that we still all can speak when we're given the chance. And, you know, when you're playing with someone, when you're having fun with someone, at some deep level you're saying, yes, I share your values, I share your ideals, something that that is fun for both of us, brings us closer together. So that's pretty much the mission of our organization. We use laughter, play, and fun as a technology to help people build stronger teams, to build communities, to, to help people bond together in a way that's instantly accessible, but most people don't think of accessing. You know, as I think about play and adults, I notice that as adults, sometimes humor is at the expense of someone else, right? It's a lot about making fun of other people, et cetera. And that's not what you do. How do you, how do you, do you have a line yeah. that you draw yeah. from that? Yeah, oftentimes in the workplace, humor is kind of veiled hostility. You know, they, some, someone doesn't 
doesn't have the courage to say something straight out, so they make a joke about it, and when you confront them about it, they're like, hey, I was just getting around. But of course, that stuff hurts, and then sometimes it hurts even more. So we often counsel organizations to ask, like, and it's not even, what's the intention? It's like, what's the effect of what you just said? Right. And people get to see that they can't hide behind jokes. It's only a joke is not an excuse if it causes some kind of pain or, or friction or damage in the organization. But there's another kind so, of humor, of course, too. You know, there's been a lot of research on the actual physiological healing aspects of humor. And it's not just that we feel good. Well, you know, there's a wonderful saying, you, you don't play when you feel good. You feel good when you play. And there's, there's that kind of, of reaction of helping people just sit in their joy, which is a very different experience than most people have, especially in the mm-hmm. workplace. I mean, you know, people think that work is not supposed to be fun. That's why it's called work. Right, 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 right. Well, do you think that there was a time in history when work was meant to be fun? You know, um, I, I, I think in this country, um, you know, what's been labeled the Puritan ethic pretty much squashed that pretty pretty early. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. You know, people who are having fun at work are usually seen by their managers as people who are goofing off. But there's been really a revolution um, in the last, I would say, 30 years. And it's starting to shift. It hasn't turned around totally. But people understand if you push people, just work, 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 you're going to burn them out. Instead, you have to take some time to regenerate, re-energize, and come back refreshing. And if if laughter can be part of that, it just happens much more completely and much more fully. And, of course, so much more pleasurably. Right. You know, when I have had the pleasure of being in front of you in a group when you are on doing your thing, um, you're an amazing MC, and your capacity to engage a group, no matter what the size, and your capacity to get people to step outside their comfort zone so quickly is, <laughs> is unparalleled. I have never seen anyone who can do this the way you do. And, and I'm wondering, do you consider yourself a comedian? Um. You know, I do have comedy training, but, you know, when I used to work in clubs, um, it's mostly people who are really inebriated and yelling out all kinds of stuff at the audience. And you would would think that that's an easier group to get going, but it's actually much more difficult. And, you know, my thing is very kind of kind hard and easygoing, and so um, having to trade insults with people yelling stuff at me from the audience was not my idea of a good time. Um, although, uh, you know, I, I have friends in in comedy who are fantastic at that, and I always laugh at the, at the things they say. I remember um, Mike Davis, who's a, a juggler, he used to do a fantastic thing where he would borrow a cigarette from somebody in the front row, and then Mike would stick it in his own nose to inhale it, blow it out his mouth, and give the cigarette back to the guy in the front row, and then he would go like, Ugh! and Mike would go like, oh, now you're afraid for your health, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that kind, of, that, that kind of thing I can appreciate, but, but it doesn't, um, I don't know, it doesn't come naturally to me. So, yeah, I think comedy is an important part of the presentations I do, 
But really, it's not just about making people laugh. It's about helping people bond together. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons I've had a lot of success is I can really put myself in the place of people in the audience and see that people just need permission to get outside their comfort zone. And what I do is I kind of make fun of and mimic all the inhibitions so people think like, oh, yeah, everybody's like me. I might as well do it since everybody else is going to do it. And so, you know, we get up, we play, we yell, we just dance around. We have such a good time together. Well, absolutely, indeed. I can say that personally from our experience together. I always love to experience when Matt Weinstein is going to be on stage because we know it is going to be an amazing experience. So when did you have a sense that you were funny? Um, You know, I was in a children's theater company in graduate school at the University of Massachusetts, and actually, I'll tell you what happened to me. The rehearsals were even more fun for me than the actual performance. We had such a good time just being together and playing together and forming our, our, our plays together, and I realized that that was something that I could actually bring to the business world, that they didn't, wouldn't have to put on a play, but the mere act of learning to have fun and you know, enjoy laughter together would bond those people together in stronger teams and stronger performing teams. So that was kind of a natural evolution for me. Yeah, I was, um, I was a good actor, but I wasn't a great actor, but I was great at taking theater games principles and making them work for really large groups. And it is a joy for me to be up on stage. It's one of my great, great pleasures in the world. Well, that really comes through. But how old were you then when you began to see that? Um, Well, my company, Playfair, is... 40 years old this year, which is very amazing. So, you know, I started in my early 20s, and um, we've just been cruising. I mean, uh, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. One one of the things that we do in addition to working, you know, we, we work with a lot of corporations and trade associations about how to have more fun at work. But we also do this one really fun thing. The very first day of school, colleges and universities give us their entire freshman class. And instead of being like in the football stadium looking at the players, they're all out on the field, sometimes as many as 5,000 of them as once. And we do this giant icebreaker team building mixer event. You know what it's like the first day of school. I mean, it's the first time we fall home. <laughs> Am I going to fit in? Am I going to like me? I was a big fish in high school. And so there's so much nervous energy in the audience. And we just blow it out the top. So by the end, people are like hogging each other and just feel like, ah, so relieved, so relaxed. Yeah, I made the right choice in coming here. And in 90 minutes, we can just build a community out of total strangers. And it's the most exciting, exciting event. And it only happens, of course, in August and September at the beginning of the school year mostly, but last year we did uh, about 450 of those events. We did uh, 52 different colleges in one day, so it was very amazing, very amazing, and that's um, a program that's been happening for almost all the 40 years, and we have some colleges and universities we've been going back to for 20 and 30 years in a row. It's quite thrilling. And I have no doubt that you are changing the lives of those kids, and I say kids, you know, college people, in, in terms of how they then view their experience going forward in school. It's got to be completely transforming for them. So, yeah, that's what's what? beautiful about it. We, we hear from some of the dean of students, you know, a student came to me the first day and said, I don't fit in. I'm going to call my parents and go home. And he said, just go to this one thing. Just go to this one thing and we'll talk after that. And, you know, the guy stays in school. It's so gratifying. And in fact, we just got a call last week from a guy in New Jersey. He said, I met my girlfriend the first day of school, my freshman, in, 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 as a freshman, and he's, he's out of school now. Um, 
um, he, he said they've been together ever since, and he said, it's finally time for me to pop the question. So what I want to do is tell her we're going to a class reunion, but invite my family and all my friends, and we're going to have a Playfair event, and I'm going to propose in the middle of it. So wow. we're really excited That's about that. So That's cool. going to happen in June in New Jersey. That is great. That is great. Can you teach somebody how to be funny? I mean, it seems like some people just develop it naturally, and I don't know if they come out of the womb it's funny, but it seems like some people can take to it easier than others. What yeah. I don't know that you can teach someone to be funny, but you can teach someone how to bring more fun into their lives and, you know, even how to bring more fun uh, into work. And, you know, like I worked with Wells Fargo, not anybody's idea of a happy-go-lucky kind of institution, but they did a fantastic um, reward and recognition person uh, program for their for their people. The cornerstone of which was they gave a thirty-five dollar gift certificate to each of their employees. But here was the catch: you couldn't hand it in yourself. Instead, you had to award to the one award it to the one person in the bank who had done the best job of supporting you being excellent in your job, and then that person could cash it in for 35 bucks, and there was no limit to how many of those any one person working behind the scenes could receive. It was really a true reward and a peer reward and recognition program, and here's what I love about it. They then tracked how many everybody had received, and the 25 people with the most, well, no, I guess it was 35, they invited to an awards banquet that was hosted by the chairman of the board and the president of the bank, and they gave them their, their choice of 101 different awards, and this is where they were so creative and fun about them. I'm just going to read you a couple of them. Obviously, we're not going to read 101, but, but number 28 was a $200 shopping spree at Carl Reichert's favorite store. He was the chairman of the board at the time, Banana Republic. And lunch at Paul Hazen's favorite lunch spot. He was the, the, the president, Burger King. So you get to spend the morning lunching with the chairman. I'm sorry, shopping with the chairman and lunching with the, the president. Number 36, payment of a December home mortgage lease or rent. Well, maybe that one's not so much fun, but it got people excited anyway. <laughs> Number <laughs> Number 43, a two-hour body massage on company time on April 15th. Here's one I really love, too. Number 56, two pounds of Mrs. Fields cookies delivered to your desk each month for the next year. And that's kind of like, <laughs> I want it, but maybe not. <laughs> so to help you out with that one, they paired it with number 57, a complete exercise bicycle and sweat outfit to help you sweat out those cookies. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. You know, let me give you just one or two more. Here's one I really love. Number 61, Carl Reichert, Paul Hazen, or one of the vice chairmen does your job for the day. You train and supervise. Because what's Whoa. the best way to lead, especially in something like this? You know, if you're in a company that's kind of oppressive, you can't just jump up and start being happy-go-lucky type because People look to their managers and people who are their superiors to set the tone. But here were the managers of a, of a major financial institution really willing to get down and dirty and do somebody else's job for the day. Here's wow. I'm going to just give you two more that I really love. Number eight, a bag of fertilizer for your garden, personally supplied by the horses that pull the Wells Fargo stagecoach. So <laughs> everybody contributed whatever they could. <laughs> and then my absolute favorite out of the whole thing, number 88, a menu item named in your honor by the Wells Fargo cafeteria. So your burger lives on forever. In <laughs> and it costs them nothing, of course. But, but it's a way of celebrating their people in a fun way that – you know what's going to happen? The person who gets their burger up, they're going to be talking about it to their neighbors, to their friends. I mean, it's going to create such goodwill for the company, and that's what bringing that kind of fun to work does. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly the kind of thing that Matt Weinstein can bring to your company.
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversation. My guest today, Matt Weinstein, funny man, known as the master of playfulness, and I can attest to that personally. Indeed, he is. So, Matt, you have written several books, and um, one of your books that I love the title of is Dogs Don't Fight When a Growl Will Do. <laughs> yeah. I, I love this. I love this. You, you, and the subtitle is What Your Dog Can Teach You About Living a Happy Life. I, so dogs don't bite when a growl will do. Well, I thought, you know, that's really clever. Actually, that's true. <laughs> it actually is, yeah. I mean, there's lots yeah. of things if you take your life with a, with a dog as a metaphor that dogs can teach us about how to be happier because dogs themselves are so happy. I mean, what I always say is you always hear somebody saying, oh, man, I've been working like a dog. My boss is working me like a dog. But the real question is, you ever take a moment to notice how your dog does spend his day? I mean, you could not have a better life than your dog has. They're pampered. They're taken care of. Where do we ever get an expression like working like your dog? That would be a great thing that could happen for you. And, you know, you come home from a hard day at work. As soon as you open the front door, your dog is there in a flash, eyes bright, tail wagging, every fiber of his being is going like, you came home. I can't believe you actually came home. This is the most fantastic thing that ever happened to me. And yet 15 minutes later, you go outside to take out the garbage, you come back in the front door, your dog is still really excited to see you. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great? It's like you're walking to work first thing in the morning, and the people you work with are that excited to see you. Well, that's, of course, the claim of that book and my other companion book, which is called Work Like Your Dog, which is uh, you start paying attention to the things your dogs do. You know, you, people, you, you, you just try this experiment for a week is one thing that, that my co-author, Luke Barber, and I posit in those books. Just Act like your dog. As soon as you see your friends, get really excited to see them. Express your love openly and all the time. And you know what? Things are going to really change in your life. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, well, you know, can, I, can you imagine? I mean, I think about that as you say that. Somebody who would be that excited to see me every single day. I mean, yeah. yeah my husband excited to see me. I don't know if he's that excited to see me, you know? Well, you know my wife, uh, Janine Roth, and sometimes she always says, okay, I know what you want me to do. You want me to wag my tail when you come in the door, and okay, we'll try it. So we have a really fun like (laughs) thing like that. We get excited to see each other. (laughs) That's great. I love it. Well, you know, that brings up another point. Sometimes I hear people who are in the comedian realm talk about how People in their lives get tired of everything being funny. Do you ever have that experience? Uh, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think I'm what they call a situational extrovert. Um, uh-huh. You know, I'm uh, like, you couldn't live life the way I am on stage. You would, like, frighten everybody, and you know, if you were one-on-one right. like that. So, you know, I know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. And, uh, you know, when I go to a party, I don't, like, jump up on the, on the table and start going crazy. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a problem that I personally have, but I know what you're talking about. I've seen people that they just have to 
to be on all the time. And yeah. you know, they miss they miss half of life because they never pay attention. They never calm down. They never listen to what's really going there. And I think the ability to, to walk into a room and, and tune in to what's going on before you actually open up uh, yeah. is a really, really valuable one. Well, you know, I, I, two um, people, two comedy comedians come to mind um, when we talk about that. One is Jim Carrey, because there has been a lot of lot written about that and him. And the other one is Robin Williams. And um, Robin, you know, God rest his soul, he did go through that early in his career where he literally could not come off of the being on high. And, um, you know, what, what do you think about, I mean, you hear a lot about comedians, you know, and their pain, but actually it's about avoiding pain. Is that, do you think that's true for them? Oh, you know, there, there have been uh, um, Pagliacci, the sad clown, you know, uh, it, it, yeah. it's been a, a kind of a, I won't say a stereotype, but it's been something that's been known for a long time, that the line is very thin between laughter and plain. And, you know, uh, you do hear people say all the time, someday I know I'm going to look back at all this and laugh. Uh, uh, talking about some of their pain and some of their tragedy, and really, mm-hmm. a healthy person just tries to narrow that gap. So, you know, why wait is the question uh, that <laughs> laughter and pain are very, very closely related. But um, a lot of, I mean, you can't, suffering is a part of life, there's no doubt about it, but we don't need to wallow in it. We don't need to stay in it. There's always some kind of positive energy and something positive that, that we can find from even the most difficult circumstances. You know that um, um, my talk on the TED web, website is called uh, What Bernie Madoff Couldn't Steal From Me, and it's about my uh, my ill-fated investment with, with Bernie Madoff. But, you know, even something like getting wiped out and, and losing all our money, which was an incredibly painful experience, um, you know what? It's money. It's, you know, whatever happens in life, not, no one is going to have a carefree life. And it's just a question of rebounding from there, looking at what you have, seeing what really is enough, seeing what really is valuable, seeing what really is important. And um, we go on from there. That's what it means to be human. Well, you, there are a few details of that story that um, are fascinating to me. And how you initially handled this when you heard the news is unbelievable. I mean, you you were amazing. Tell the listeners that part of the story. Yeah, well, I was actually on a uh, vacation with some of my, my college roommates, my former college roommates in Antarctica, um, and I got a... Uh, uh, page to go up to the captain's uh, quarters for a satellite phone call, and um, you know I, I had no idea what it was about. I knew it was some kind of emergency, okay. and I I also knew these satellite phone calls cost ten dollars a minute. So I went like running up to the bridge, and um, it was my wife Janine, and and um, you know she said to me, Bernie Madoff's whole thing turned out to be a scam. We lost everything, and, you know, we were just so um, anxious in that moment. We didn't know if we could afford to live in our house. We didn't know what in the world we would do, because we had, we had been with Madoff for many, many years and just put everything in there. And then one of us finally had the presence of mind to say to the other one, you know what? We are no longer the kind of people who can afford to talk on a satellite telephone at $10 a minute, so we just hung <laughs> up. And uh, it wasn't like I could say, okay, let's turn around. I want to go back. It was like I was on that ship, and we were in Antarctica, and there was no communication from the outside world at all. And, you know, I would, you know what it's like on a cruise. They, they put you at tables with a lot of people, and so I would sit down and, 
people would say to me, so Matt, you know, what do you do for a living back home? And I'd go like, I teach people how to have fun. That must have been really hard. I mean, how did you, how did you do that? How did you get through that? You know, it, it was really, really um, difficult. Um, part of it that was great for me was being out in nature. I mean, this was just spectacular scenery and the icebergs and the penguins, and, you know, it helped take my mind off of it. But, you know, I also knew whatever happened, we would get through it. And, and um, really, when we got back together, finally, Janine and I just took a look and appreciated what we had, and that was the trick, to just bring yourself back every moment to what you do have rather than what you lost. Uh, you know, I, we had both gone to this wonderful um, month with Thich Nhat Hanh, the, 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 mm-hmm. the you know, Buddhist Zen teacher, yeah. and I remember one morning he got up in front of the group and he, he said, okay, how many people have a toothache right now? And nobody raised their hand, and he went like, isn't that fantastic? What a cause for celebration. Nobody has a toothache here. But is anybody happy about that? And we all, like, shook our heads, no. And he said, well, when's the only time you even think about a toothache? And one person said, well, when I have one? And he says, exactly. And then it's too late to celebrate the fact that you don't have one. So he had us practice what he called the non-toothache meditation, which was every morning you wake up and you think, what's not wrong in my life right now? What's not wrong in my life right now? And, boy, if there ever was a time to practice that, it was after the Madoff. But, you know, there's so much if you stay in the moment that is so beautiful and so mm-hmm. positive in your life that has nothing to do with what's in your bank account. And, you know, we sometimes think like there's that direct correlation. The more money I have, the more happier I'm going to be. That is not mm-hmm. true. That is not true. So, yeah. Well, you know, that's, it, 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 I, I am so um, impressed, I guess is the word. But, but just admir- I admire both you and Janine and the way that you moved through this crisis, really, you know, and, and continue to show up in who you were. You know, you had your moments where you yeah. were just, just totally distressed and yeah. you also, you know, were able to pull yourselves together and say, all right, this really is horrible and, and there's, you know, there's more in life than this. And yeah, exactly. so, you know, it seems like you guys were able to really bounce back fast. You know, and, I mean, in the in the larger scheme of things, when I think about this kind of thing happening to other people, I know there are other people who did not bounce back so fast. In yeah, situation. yeah. And, well, you know, what was particularly um, tricky like, for what was particularly tricky for me was, of course, I had to work as much as possible and generate as much work as possible, <laughs> and yet my work is about pe- teaching people how to have joy and fun and excitement and play in their lives, and I had to contact that place that was real in me in spite of, you know, all this devastation of the Madoff loss of is there something that's, that I can really truthfully come from a place of joy? And, and absolutely there was. Absolutely there was, because I think that really is the natural human condition. And then, of course, spectacularly, luckily for us, Janine's book, Women, Food, and God, became a huge bestseller. And, you know, as one of our friends said to us later, well, you weren't poor for very long, were you? But <laughs> it, that's not the point. The point is, you know, we had reached a place of aliveness and contentment and and joy and just deep love and connection with each other when we were completely busted. And it didn't, of course, it was great to have money flow in, but that's not what it was about. Right, right. Well, you know, that you're both to be commended. And what a gift you have given to the rest of the world to be able to share this story and to, um, you know, help people have perhaps a different perspective on some of their own challenges. Yeah, and I think that's something that comedy does do, you know. Um, yeah. People are able to step back a bit 
without feeling, um, what, what's the word, um, chastised for kind of wallowing, right? Um, they are able to step back and say, wow, you know what? I, I can get through this. I can do this. And, you know, do you ever um, find yourself in almost like a counseling mode with people? I do. Lots of people come up to me after a, a presentation and talk to me about their own losses. And, you know, what's, what's true is everyone has losses of some sort. Everyone has losses of some sort. You know, I, I remember years ago I was really devastated. My, my longtime true love, Luann, had died of cancer, and I was giving a, 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 um, a program to the Texas Library Association, and the person in front of me, the speaker in front of me, in the middle of her presentation, was a, uh, was a, a, a under treatment for cancer, or unbeknownst to the people there, and she just pulled up her wig, and she had her totally bald hair, and just started talking about what it was like for her, and I was so moved by that, that just in the middle of my session about how to have more fun, I just talked about some really special and fun things that had happened to me and Luann in the course of her chemotherapy, and it really, really, I think, gave me permission to start being more real in not just my comedy, but in, in, in touching people, and so many people responded positively to that and came up to me and mm. talked about losses in their own life. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, so who was your inspiration. And, you know, yes, you, you kind of grew up naturally funny. My guess is you got a lot of reinforcement as a kid for that. But who was who your real inspiration? Um, you know, my dad was an actor, and um, I remember my, my mom um, <laughs> telling me when I was a kid, like six years old or something, that I... I remember that she saw me one day dressing up, I think maybe in his hat or some of his clothes, and she said to me, oh, Daddy, where are you going? Are you off to work? And, and I said to her, no, I'm going to rehearsal. And so uh, I kind of uh, was in my blood a bit. And uh, I just was always encouraged to express myself. Um, you know, I, I remember actually in college, I wrote a paper uh, in a Shakespeare class about um, Henry VIII uh, and um, no, 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 it wasn't Henry. It was it was Henry the Fourth, Part Two, actually, and um, <laughs> Duck Soup, the Marx Brothers movie, comparing them. And so I've always been interested in comedy, and uh, thank God I had a professor who could relate to that <laughs> to that uh, subject. <laughs> I guess some professors would not have taken kindly to that. <laughs> <laughs> A very serious study of Shakespeare, yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, that's really, it's a good point. You know, there are, there are, there's a lot of comedy in Shakespeare that most people are not familiar with. Um, what do you think, I mean, was Shakespeare really a good comedy writer? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, especially you see very talented directors who will play Shakespeare for laughs, and it can be fantastically funny. It can be fantastically funny. You know, I actually remember this one very ironic time when there was, um, on, when I was in, 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 an undergraduate, there was a Shakespeare thing on TV, and I had a Shakespeare paper due the next day, and I was like, is this really going to be the case that I'm not going to watch this hugely heralded Shakespeare performance on public television because I have to write a paper about Shakespeare, and so I'm going to miss this experience? And, and, and um, you know, it, it's all in the, the presentation, I think, um, for me, there actually was people, I, I think, you know, I'm, uh, I, I must say I'm a little removed from this, but I think about 100 years after, play, after Shakespeare, maybe 200, the Restoration Comedies, though, I could sit and read those all night and just laugh out loud. For Shakespeare, yeah. for me, mostly, I need to see it. And, you know, they're, they're just fabulous. In fact, my company, Playfair, 
some of the guys in my company have formed their own company, which is fantastic. It's called Shotspear. And they <laughs> perform in Las Vegas and in L.A. and New York. And the actors all drink alcohol, seriously, shots during the, during the, the show. And people in the audience under their seats, they have these green things that they can hold up. And when they hold that up, not only the actors, but everybody in the audience needs to take a drink at the same time. And it's oh, so wild and so fun and so crazy. And in the middle of a monologue, they'll pass out like um, boxes full of socks. And this person has to give his monologue while everybody in the audience throws socks at them. And, I mean, it's not traditional Shakespeare, I would say. But, you know, you can really take the comedic parts of it and... Um, the structure, the bare bones. I mean, that's why they're called Shakespeare's comedies, because they are life-affirming and joyous and fun. So, you know, as I think about that, it makes me think about just society in general. You know, there's so much going on these days, and I don't know if there's actually more tragedy in the world than there has ever been, or if we simply know about it more because of the communication systems and we have access to all that. Um, so, you know, I wonder, I wonder if um, this isn't some sort of anecdote, and if it is, then how do we, how do we really on purpose utilize this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to be part of a traveling roadshow called The Healing Powers of Laughter and Play. And, yeah, it really can. I mean, of course it can be an antidote. Um, well, there's so much to worry about and so much to be depressed about in the world. And I personally think um, that... It's, things have always been pretty difficult, life on this planet. I just think we know about it, and people are more drawn to hearing about tragedy. I remember back in the day when I wanted to do a, a workshop at Esalen, which I, I've taught there many, many times, but they said to me at the beginning, you know, if we advertise that people are going to have a good time, we don't draw so many people. If you can do something where you can just focus on the pain in the, in the description, we'll draw a lot more people to your workshop. And I was like, really? And they were like, I, you know, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. Pain, of course, you know, you would think that, that we're kind of, our, our brains are kind of designed to look for danger and look for pain and, and you know, get away from that saber-toothed tiger or whatever. So that is what, what, we're, what we're drawn to. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have more to talk about with Matt Weinstein when we come right back. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with Matt Weinstein, the emperor of Playfair. So, Matt, tell us quickly about Playfair, your company. Playfair, I love that name. It's a little bit of a on, double entendre. You know? Yes, exactly. That so was the intention. That was the intention. Well, we had our origins at a place in eastern Pennsylvania that was called the Games Preserve. 
and the Games Preserve was a center for the development of adult playfulness. And we thought we had a great name there, the Games Preserve, because we we're going to preserve games and play. But, you know, unfortunately, nobody exactly understood what we were up to. You know, people kind of focused on that adult playfulness part of the thing and thought we were some kind of like X-rated summer camp for adults or else they would think, Games Preserve, I'm going to come and see the giraffes running around. But, but we thought we had a brilliant concept. We were going to take corporate executives, we're going to play childhood games with them. It would be like a revolution in team building. And so we did have people flying in from all over the country to study with us. We played childhood games with these people, and as a result, we had some of the most ugly, hostile, just just horrible experiences in the history of team building. We would spend... Five minutes playing a typical child's game with these people, 20 minutes debriefing them, calming them down, keeping them away from each other. And what we finally realized is this. Childhood games, of course they were fun. Of course there was a lot of energy released. But they're not designed to bond people together. The games we learn as children are games where we learn about our own strengths. We learn about head-to-head competition. We learn to run over opponent, king or queen of the mountain, and you give adults permission to change like that, and it is like the reign of terror immediately. So... (laughs) We realized we used to, we had just, and this one little switch made all the difference. Instead of playing win-lose experiences where somebody feels bad about losing, we changed them into what are called sink or swim experiences, where your whole team wins together or your whole team loses together. But it doesn't matter because even if you're on the losing team, you're all bonded together. If the object is team building, playing games is fantastic as long as no one feels bad about their performance or whether they won or lost. Huh. Yeah. So from that simple thing came the whole Playfair empire. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's amazing. So so you offered earlier that um when we were off air you said, Well let's let's try this out and I very gingerly said, Okay <laughs> So so I'm game. I'm gonna like go for it here. So so Okay, let's great. Go ahead. So this is a little game that I know you have. I'm pretty sure you haven't seen before, Cheryl, because in all the times we've been together, I've never played it with the group, but I was thinking I might. It's called No, No, You Mean. And so I would begin and give you a word and a definition of the word, only the definition actually is a definition of a different word, like a rhyming word. Like I would say, like, a hatter is something you need when you make a cake. And you would go like, no, 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 that's not a, that's not a hatter. You mean batter. I'd say, oh, batter. You'd say, yes, yes. Batter is like um, the thing you use when you play golf. And I'd go like, no, 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 that's not batter. You mean a putter. You know, and when I say rhyming, they're <laughs> not exactly right on, but they're close enough. And then I would say, a putter is something you get in the mail. And you'd say, no, 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 that's not a putter. That's a letter. So we go like that. So let me just try one. Um, okay. Um, a prune is that thing that shines up in the sky and at night you can see it, like reflected sunlight off of it. No, no, no. You're talking about a moon. Oh, moon. Yeah, what's a moon? Uh, it's a big thing. It's a big orb in the sky. No, no, you have to miss. The, the trick is you misdefine a moon. So you tell me a moon oh, is... Oh, yeah, so, so it has to come my side. See, see, games have instructions, Matt. You know, you have to be explicit here. I'm an adult, not a kid. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. So, so I would then say, no, 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 you mean a moon, right? I would say that. And yes, then I would say, is. And a moon is something that you want, the, the moon is something that you do when you are really um, excited to see the love of your life. Oh, no, 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 no. You mean swoon. Um, <laughs> swoon is a kind of little song that you might whistle sometime. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you're talking about a tune. A tune. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, All right, well, we don't have to belabor this, but you got the idea. <laughs> All right, well, that's good. That's good because, you know, we're almost out of time. So, so, so back in 
see how you can get a team going, though. I can see how people would start laughing and then start laughing so that they couldn't even talk and, and think at the same time. So, um, and that actually happens to me a lot when I get into these situations. I start laughing so hard that I can't focus. And um, <laughs> it's wild. And laugh, you know, the, the, the term laughter is the best medicine is so true because it feels great. And you do an amazing job making people feel so good. And, and there's such a cathartic reaction. It's such a catharsis to laugh that hard. And, you know, you're really doing a service for the world, Matt. I know people are going to want to know more about you and the work you do and how they can connect with you. So tell us about that. Yeah, well, there are two websites. Um, one is called mattweinsteinteam.com, and that has a lot of videos uh, of us working in uh, corporate events and, and the TEDx talks and things like that. And the other one is called playfair.com, P-L-A-Y-F-A-I-R. And that one, of course, has a section on all our corporate and association programs, but it also has a big piece of uh, all the work we do on college campuses. Playfair is the name of our organization, P-L-A-Y-F-A-I-R. Well, I love it. And for all of our listeners out there, you will absolutely be over the moon about that one. <laughs> Wait a moon. I, I think I remember the moon. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to say goodbye for today. Matt, thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure. Oh, and remember, everyone, remember everyone to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.